We are in Romans 8 this morning, and so if you're just jumping in, visiting with us today, haven't been here, we're walking through a sermon series together where we walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation looking at the big story of the Bible and how all the small stories in the Bible really stitch together. They come together to tell one meta-narrative big story, which we call the gospel story, the story of God's redemption. And so um, what we did is we started week one looking at creation, how God created all things, and he stamped his approval on his creation and said, this is very good. Then we looked at the fall through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, um, how their sin marred what God had created good and corrupted creation and distorted um, our role as image bearers here on earth and our, our desire and our capacity to worship got distorted and redirected towards things here on earth and how our mission to serve God and build him a kingdom got distorted to, hey, let's build a kingdom for ourselves here on earth and, and our capacity to dwell in rich and abiding community with one, one another got distorted and so now we protect ourselves from one another. We, we don't want to be vulnerable with one another and all that was a result of sin at the fall. And then we looked at how the rest of the Old Testament, all the stories of the Old Testament are stitched together with this lingering promise that God will rescue us and gather the nations once again to himself to be his people. We see that promise all throughout the Old Testament. And then we we looked at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the author of the story stepped into the story to rescue us. And how at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, this is where our rescue took place. Then after that, um, we spent some time looking at what, what's next, what happens in and to the person who's trusted in Jesus. And we, we looked at how through the faith in Jesus, God is restoring all those things. Our image-bearing role, our capacity to worship the one true God our ability to dwell and enrich an abiding community with one another, and our mission has been reinstated. And last week we came back and we looked at this, this, this process of sanctification, how from the moment I trust in Jesus until the moment I step out of this life into eternity, that whole, that whole lifespan there is this process of God working in me and on me to make me more like Jesus. And the big, the big word for that is sanctification. I am every day becoming more and more what I already am in Christ. And so now what we're going to do starting today and for the next two weeks, we've got three Sundays left in the series, is we're going to begin looking forward. We're going to be looking at what is to come, and specifically today, the glorification of the saints. The glorification of the saints. Now, a couple things about that. One, when you hear the word saints, we are not talking about some some. Uh, stoic ancient statues of the super awesome Christians who have lived here on earth, okay? When we talk about saints, the Bible talks about saints um, in a way that it's describing any person, any person who has trusted in Jesus as their savior is now a saint. So today in Romans 8, we're gonna be called saints. We're gonna be called children of God. Now, I don't wake up every day feeling like a saint, Right, So I have to choose to believe it because the Bible says it's true. And so more specifically, we're going to be looking at the glorification, the future glorification of the saints. Now, that might sound strange to you because the vast majority of the Bible is talking about how God causes all things to happen for our good and for his, what? Glory. So 
our role here on earth as image bearers is to bring glory to his name, to glorify God above all things. But then in the New Testament, we begin to read about something that's going to happen to us and for us. And the way Paul describes it here is that we will be glorified. So today we're going to be looking at what that means. What does it mean that I will one day be glorified? Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to start in verse 16 and read through verse 30. The Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit of God, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be, what? Glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also did what? Glorify. So this idea of the future glorification of the saints, it's not a concept I came up with. It's not a, uh, something that came out of church history. It's the Bible itself saying that something in the future is pending, is going to happen for those who have trusted in Christ, for those who are saints. Let's walk through this together starting in verse 16. Verse 16 is so helpful for me, and, 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 I, and I hope it will be for you. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so this idea that he bears 
witness for us is the idea that, that the Holy Spirit is what affirms and confirms in you that you belong to him. Because, why? We're prone to forget it. Right? We're prone to forget, oh, I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. When I walk through my everyday life, right? We were talking about this in the first service. Like my, my primary identity oftentimes is rooted in what I can see, my earthly dwelling, the person who gave me my earthly name, what I do for a living, the things I see here on earth. So I need the Holy Spirit of God on a daily basis to affirm in me and remind me, Jason, it's not even, that's not even your best name. That's what your mom decided to call you, your earthly mother. You have a more sure identity than that. You are a son of the Most High God. And then from there, he says, all right, so if the Holy Spirit's affirming this in us, then what? We're heirs. If we're his children, we are heirs. And so we say, heirs to what? What do we stand to inherit from God? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So it sounds like God is saying, as a Christian, I stand to inherit whatever Christ has inherited. So what he says, I'm a, an heir with Christ. And then he goes on. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So something about the glorification of Jesus informs the glorification of the saints. Something that has happened to Jesus is also going to happen to us, right? Provided that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And then verse 18. Again, this speaks to this beautiful gospel story. Paul says, let's talk about the gospel story for a minute. Let's talk about where we are in the timeline of human history. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Now that sufferings is a summary word. It's the way Paul describes my life after I become a Christian until the day I step out of this life into eternity, either through my death or through the return of Christ. Paul's describing your life right now, Christian, as sufferings. Right? And that encompasses hardships and trials and struggles and weaknesses and failures and sin. And Paul said, let's just stamp it with this word, sufferings. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to something that's coming. What is it? The glory that is to be revealed to us. And so as we go back to the gospel story, the promise has been realized. Jesus has come to our rescue. Now we've trusted in him and he's recreating us. And on a daily basis, he's making me more and more like Jesus through sanctification. And what Paul has said, your sanctification is a lot like suffering. But listen, Christ follower, what's happening to you right now, this day, in this moment, in this life, is not worth comparing to what? The glory that's going to be revealed. There's something better coming. How do we know what's coming? What is glorification? It has something to do with what happened to Christ. In a very similar uh, passage where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to what he says. In verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. 
He's speaking to Christians who are tempted to lose heart because of the sufferings of this present age and all the trials that we are encountering. He says, so we don't lose heart in the midst of that, though our outer self is wasting away. The earthly me, the fleshly me, every day is looking more and more like it's just ready to go. Right? About to be 42. I've got tangible proof that the, right? The outer self is wasting away. I could try to dress it up and pretend and put on my, my, you know, my, my cream to get rid of the wrinkles, but every person in this room, the, old, the outer self is wasting away, but our hope isn't in that, is it? Look at what he says. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And then look at what he says. For this light momentary affliction, Every time I read that, I almost get defensive. Paul, what are you talking about? Light and momentary affliction, right? You don't live with my children. You don't wrestle with the same thing. Evidently, you've got no insight into how hard this life can be. It's not light and momentary. When my eyes are focused on the here and now, it's not light and momentary, is it? It's heavy and hard oftentimes. Paul, but look at what he says. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. So he's not saying that your suffering doesn't hurt and it doesn't feel heavy. He's saying compared to something, it's light and momentary. If you don't compare it to something, it's not going to feel light and momentary. It's going to feel heavy and eternal like it's never going away. It's never going to get better. I'm never going to turn a corner here. And every time I turn a corner, I get slapped in the face again. The only way this life feels light and momentary is I have my eyes fixed somewhere else on something better that is to come. So he says, verse 18, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. That word means always shifting, changing, here today, gone tomorrow. The things you can see here in this life, here on this earth, your possessions, your even some of your, your relationships, your career path, the, all that you're trying to achieve in this life, all those things are transient. Because one day you're going to die, and even if you achieve your earthly dreams, your, your earthly dreams have a shelf life to them, right? They're transient. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, that leaves us with this question, then what is glorification? What are we looking forward to? Because that word alone doesn't give me a whole lot of hope. I need to know what that means. What, what does it mean when Paul says, Christ follower, child of God, fellow saint, don't fix your eyes on the mess of this life. Look beyond the mess of this life to something better that is to come. You're going to one day be glorified. Paul, what do you mean? What does it mean that I will be glorified? 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Peter is writing about this same thing, and he uses very similar wording, but he helps us out a little bit. Just two verses here, 10 and 11. Peter writes, And after you have suffered a little while, that's what Paul was calling light and momentary affliction. Peter's calling it suffering for a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you, remember Paul said those he's called, he's also justified and glorified, 
He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so now we're getting a little bit more substance to what glorification means. Something about my glorification will be restorative. Oh, that's good because I need some more restoration. Right? I do. Like, through my faith in Christ, I've been a Christian now for, gosh, 25 years, 20, almost 27 years. There's been a lot of restoration happen in my life through that process of sanctification from that first day until now. A lot has been restored. The people who are friends with me, the people who are married to me, the people who live in my house are so thankful that some restoration has happened. But talk to those same people and they'll let you know there's a lot more that still needs to happen. He's not there yet. He who began a good work in Jason is not done. (laughs) He's got a lot of restoration. And so what we're reading is that at our glorification, your restoration will be done and complete. Whew, good. It will be confirming. Anybody in the room wanna be honest about your struggle and your doubts? Even Christ's followers struggle, right? We take our eyes off Christ, we look at the world around us, And like Peter on the water, we begin to sink in doubts and fears and second-guessing things. And Listen, when you step into eternity, there will be no longer any need for faith and hope. Remember Paul talking about that, 1 Corinthians 13? The greatest of these is love. Why? Because love will remain. You don't need hope and faith in heaven. You ever thought about that? We need hope and faith in this life for the thing we're hoping for that we can't see. It will be confirming, strengthening. Listen, that's not the description of you eating well and going to the gym every day and getting stronger. What Paul is talking about is that in this current life, we have weaknesses. Remember Paul calls us to boast in our weaknesses here in the flesh? Those weaknesses are our our failures, our shortcomings, our sinful nature, our battle with the flesh, our struggle to do what we ought to do and stay away from things we ought not do. What Paul is saying is, listen, you're frail, body, flesh will one day be strengthened. That's good news, right? Good news. Not only that, he says this, it will be establishing. He uses that word established. It's beautiful imagery of like um, when you set form boards to, to pour a foundation and you come and you pour the concrete in, everything's in place, the rebar is all tied and ready to go, all your beams and piers are all set, you pour that concrete in and it settles to where it's going to go, and you've just got a few moments to shape it and change it and trowel it and smooth it and edge it, and then you walk away, and what? And then it's established. It's done. That's, that's the word describing our glorification. It'll be confirming, it'll be strengthening, and it will be permanent and established. Right now, through sanctification, the form boards are being set, just to continue that metaphor. Preparations are being made for that moment where you and I will be established. Now, um, I, I ran across some, uh, some really interesting historical information about the dates on tombstones. See, when you and I visit a cemetery, graveyard, tombstones, we typically, one of the first things we do, we're drawn to the dates. How old was this person, right? We look and there's a birth date, there's a dash, and then there's an ending date. Now, what Paul is saying, now, when he talks about these momentary afflictions or these sufferings, he's talking about the dash, that life that we live. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians were the first ones to put the second date on the tombstone. See, in our day and age, it just seems natural, right? You put the, when, they bur- when they were born and when they died, it tells you how old they were. But for pagan religions who had no hope after this life, they didn't want to be reminded of death. And so they would only put the beginning when this person was born. Christians were the first ones to say, wait a second, let's put the second date on there. That one's actually more exciting than the first date. And so historically speaking, Christians were the first ones to acknowledge that second date. Why? Because the first date acknowledges the day that we step into the broken world. The second day represents the day we step out of it. The first day represents the day we step into suffering. What's the first thing a baby does? Okay, why? I'm cold. The lights are too bright, right? I'm now suddenly aware of I'm wet. I don't, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I don't know I have any words to say what I'm feeling. I don't like it. I'm going to cry. We get to Revelation, the end of the gospel story, and God says, well, oh, by the way, in eternity, there'll be no more. There'll be no more crying. Crying is for the dash. See, as Christ followers, we're more excited about the second second date, aren't we? We've been born once. We want to be born again, born into something better, born into an eternal hope. And so... Paul's going to say now is he's going to talk about the dash. And it's so funny because I've heard sermons and inspirational messages about do the most you can with your dash. It's all about the dash. But as Christ followers, Paul's saying, no, your dash is momentary. Your dash is hard. Your dash is suffering. During your dash, you're going to encounter darkness and evil and trial. And that doesn't compare with what happens after the second date. Romans 8, verse 19, Paul begins to talk about creation as a whole. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, in this life, there are those people around us who said, I've trusted in Jesus, I'm a Christian, and my um, optimism wants to believe every person. However, I know that somewhere along the way, there is that tendency for people to try to fake things right? And, and, and my life included oftentimes. So I would venture to say there are potentially people who've been on earth uh, since the days of Christ who have said, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, but truly hadn't trusted in Jesus. Just statistically speaking, that's probably happened. I don't know who they are. I'm not, I'm not on the witch hunt to figure out who they are. And there are also people, right, who, who maybe if you look at the outer um, evidence of their life, you would just see hopelessness and despair and the cycle of sin and say, there's no way that person's a Christian. But deep on the inside, their inner self, as little as it may be, is trusting in Jesus, and they're being transformed to be more and more like him every day, but you aren't able to see it. And so you might conclude, well, that person's not a Christian. But what the word is saying is that there will come a day when we will finally and fully know who the sons of God are, and creation right now is longing for that day to happen. Now, why are the trees looking forward to the day when God confirms who the children of God are? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation itself, we're going to read this, is corrupted by the sins of man, and it's not the pine tree's fault. Right? It's not the ocean's fault. It's not the fault of the clouds, the fault of the stars, the fault of the moon, the fault of the squirrels. Creation itself was subjected to futility, not because of what creation did, but because of what we did. 
And so now creation is longing and leaning forward to the day that it'll all be restored. When is that day? According to what we just read, at the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Think about that. The Old Testament talks about how when the children of God don't cry out, the rocks will cry out on our behalf. And the psalmist talks about how every sunset, every star-filled sky, every beautiful ocean scenery, every, everything that we see around us that, that resembles beauty in any kind of way is creation worshiping and reflecting the goodness and the glory of God. But it's not perfect right now. It, it's subjected to corruption right now. And the rocks and the trees, the squirrels, the whales, the rabbits, the poison ivy, the ticks, the fleas, the bald eagles. There's this inward groaning and longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Look at what we read next, verse 23. And not only the creation, that's just getting started. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as Christ's followers, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now listen, let's not gloss over that redemption of our bodies. This is the glorification of the saints. Let's talk through this for a minute. Now there's some differences in opinion about what happens to the person who is a Christian who dies and is waiting for the resurrection of the body. Some would say that as a Christian, when you die, you just simply go to sleep and you rest until the resurrection of the bodies. Now, I don't necessarily land there. Um, There's another view that would say, no, you step into the fullness of Christ, and spiritually speaking, you stepped into your resurrected life, awaiting the physical resurrection. Now, we're not going to work through that debate in here, okay? It's not the main point. We know that glorification isn't done until we resurrect and have redeemed physical bodies. Why is that important? One, that's what happened to Jesus. He resurrected not just spiritually, but physically from the dead. Why is that important? Because what happened through his resurrection? We talked about it on Easter. He conquered two things we can't conquer. What were they? Sin and and death. Your resurrected, glorified, physical body will be the proof, the realization of everything you've hoped for. Resurrected without suffering, without sin. Man, I can't wait to be done with sin. I can't wait to be done with weakness. I can't wait to be done with doubts and fears and second-guessing myself. And I can't wait to be done with sanctification, to be honest with you. I can't wait to be done with this light momentary affliction to resurrect from the dead in a glorified body. That is the glorification of the saints. And here is, he says this, we eagerly await for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Man, that's good news. We're not just talking about spiritually speaking, but we are longing for, we're looking, we're leaning with creation forward to something better than what we have right now, 
the resurrection of the saints. And he says this, for in this hope we are saved. What is he saying? The primary reward of your salvation is in the future. That's the hope we're saved in. Now track with me here. Hope that is seen isn't hope, is it? Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with it with patience. The saints are eagerly waiting. In the midst of the suffering of this present life, we declare together, the best is yet to come. My hope is hinged on something in the future. Is my salvation impacting my daily life today? It is. But it's chump change compared to what's coming. In 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful passage we referred to earlier about love, where Paul says, listen, all the work that you do for Jesus in your life, if it's not rooted in love for the people around you, it's going to sound like somebody just clings a symbol in your ear. It's going to be annoying and confusing and frustrating if it's not rooted in love. And then look at what he says in verse 8. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Love never ends. Faith and hope will one day end, right? But love doesn't. It goes into the next life. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now that's his main point here. In this life, during the dash, I, don't, I, don't, I have not beheld quite yet the fullness of Christ. I've only seen him in part. Now what I've seen looks good. What I've seen is glorious. But I can only see it in part Therefore, my prophecies, my speaking in tongues, my, my, my spiritual gifts are just partial. Not perfect yet. Look at what he says. He's going to use a mirror as an illustration. He's going to talk about childhood. He says, for, for, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. For when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now, when I... When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And he's using this metaphor to describe the Christian life. Last week, we compared our spiritual growth to watching a tree grow. Super slow, isn't it? Over time, you can see the change in the evidence. And Paul said it's a lot like watching a human being grow. Now, if you haven't seen them in a while, and they, they, they come, you see them again after three months or three years, like, oh, I can tell you've aged. But day by day, it's hard to see. He said, now, when I was a child, barely just a brand new Christian, I thought like a child. I had childish ways. But as I grew more and more in Christ and became more and more like Jesus, I began to become more and more like an adult in Christ. But don't be fooled. I haven't arrived. So he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So as good as Jesus is to you, you still don't see how good he is fully. It's like he's behind you and you're looking in a mirror and it's dim. Now, what you see is attractive, it's glorious, it's good, and there's nothing better in this life than what you see. But Christ's follower, you have not yet beheld the fullness of his glory. Right now, it's like looking in a mirror dimly. But then, on that day, when I'm glorified, I'll see him face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. That is the day 
when I finally and fully see the glory of Jesus is the day that I will finally and fully be like him. You see that? That's the gospel story. That's what God is doing in your life from the moment you trust in Jesus until the moment you are glorified, making you more and more and more what you already are in Christ. And one day, Christ follower, that veil is going to be completely removed. There'll be no more mirror. You'll look up and it won't be a mirror. It'll be Jesus himself. And you will fully know him the way that he fully knows you right now. Now listen, let's finish this out. Some, some more good news coming. Paul says, hey, look, here's the deal. Don't, don't be downcast and hopeless in this life. This life is hard. It's suffering. It's a momentary affliction. But look at what he says, verse 26. God has not abandoned you. Likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. So before I become strengthened, on the day when I'm glorified, in my weakness in this life, the Holy Spirit is helping me. That's good news, isn't it? What he says, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought. Anybody else struggle to know what to say when you pray? I do. Sometimes when I get up here to start the sermon, I'm like, I know I need to pray. I know we need to talk to you before we open this so that you can help us understand this. And I'll fumble through my words. I don't know always what I ought to pray. Here's what happens in my personal prayer life. Um, I tend to start fumbling about the things that I want God to do for me or for other people. That's normally where I start. We were talking about this as elders this past uh, past week, I think, we were talking about this. And so what happens, though, if I will pray long enough and press in deep enough, the Holy Spirit begins to shift my focus to him, and I begin to pray things like, your kingdom come, your. Yeah, now I'm praying like Jesus. And so what Paul is reminding us is like Christ's follower in the suffering of this present day, we rarely even know what we should pray. It's okay, though. The Holy Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now that's a big all things, isn't it? That's not a description of the sunny days and the birds flying and just got a raise or a promotion, and my kids are just being obedient today. That all things encompasses the suffering, the trial, the hardships, the things that are struggles, the, the evidence of this current suffering. Paul says, hey, here's what we know, Christ follower. All things are working together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Can't get away from that phrase, can we? You and I are being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's all over the New Testament. In order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You, you follow that now in the gospel story? Jesus resurrects from the dead. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now all of us are his siblings, co-heirs, and we are eagerly longing for the day where we re- are resurrected. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen to me, Christ follower. We, we have to get this. If you're a Christian, is God working in your life right now? Yes. I'll just share with you some biblical examples of what God is doing in your life right now, okay? So right now, the Holy Spirit of God is transforming you into the image of Jesus. He's doing that work every day, every moment, every struggle, every victory. He's doing that right now. You don't have to wait for that to happen. It's happening right now. Right now, you have a guarantee of eternal life. Right now, you have a hope that goes beyond this life. Right now, you have a clean conscience and a freedom from guilt. That's established right now for you through your faith in Jesus. Right now, God has renewed your purpose in this life. Right now, God is blessing you with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now, that's what he's doing right now. And here's what Paul's saying. What's coming isn't worth, like what we're experiencing right now is not worth comparing what's coming. The main treasure, Christ follower, the, 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 the primary reward of your faith is forward-looking. Think about that. The primary goal of your salvation hasn't even happened yet. Is God working good things in your life right now through struggles and trials and, and blessings? And yes, but it's not worth comparing to what's to come. Whatever hope, whatever blessing, whatever forgiveness, whatever joy, whatever confidence we have in this life through our faith in Jesus, it pales in comparison to the new glorified life and body you will receive on the day when you finally and fully behold the glory of Christ. You're God's children. You're saints. You're co-heirs with Christ. The Holy Spirit reminds us of this during our journey through sanctification, through the dash period of our life experience, becoming more and more like him every day, but every day longing more and more for what? The revealing of the sons of God. Creation's leaning that way. Christians, we're to lean that way. Whatever hope, whatever blessing, whatever joy, whatever forgiveness and confidence we have in this life through our faith in Jesus, it pales in comparison to that. The glory that we will receive on the day when we finally and fully behold the glory of Christ. Now, we go back to what Paul said last week in Colossians 3. Before we actively engage in the sanctification process, Christians, we are to do what? Seek things that are where? Above where Christ is. Begins to make sense. Why? Because we too easily get distracted and discouraged by the things we can see. We have a hard time finding hope in the things we can see, don't we? The hope for your marriage is not found in what you can see. The, the hope to overcome your addictions is not found in what you can see. Right? A hope that is in what we see is no hope at all. We're hoping for something better than a happy marriage. Is it wrong to want a happy marriage? No, but want something better than that. Is it wrong to want obedient children? Want it, but don't make that your ultimate hope. Right? Is it, is it wrong to want to be successful? But no, but right? it pales in comparison to what we have coming. Jesus did not die on the cross to make my marriage happy. 
through, through pursuing him, both of us, we find joy. But he didn't die on the cross to make my marriage happy or my children obedient or for me to get the promotion or to have a nice house. Jesus died for me to absorb the penalty of my sin. He resurrected from the grave to overcome sin and death that through my faith in him that I might have something better than what I can find in this life. Right? My salvation is not about the streets of gold or the crystal sea or who I get to see there. Now, do I believe that those things will be part of my eternal experience? Yes. But that's not the end, ultimate goal and reward of my salvation. The end goal is to be more like Jesus. So now, as I step back into this world and I leave out of this place today, I begin to think about my work week and what I have to do and getting the meals prepped and the clothes all ready for school and all the things I have to do to navigate this week, I do so in hope. I do so in joy and encouragement. Why? Because my joy is not in what happens tomorrow, what gets accomplished. Tomorrow may go smoothly according to plan and everything may also get derailed. I may spill coffee on myself on the way to work and then from there everything just collapses and unfolds. Right? But neither one of those determines where my joy is. My ultimate joy is where it's in something that's yet to come, not in how well tomorrow goes. Now, I want to I land here, and I want to make one last point. Sometimes when we open God's word, it compels and calls us to do something. We did that last week. We were commanded, put the old self to death and put on the new self, something to do. Sometimes, and I would say even more frequently, we read God's word, and you know what the to-do is? Rest in this truth. Did you know that resting is doing? I know, it's totally blowing your minds right now because doing to you is a long list of stuff and planning it all out, executing your plan, and then going, oh, good job. Now, listen. The word of God calls us to do things like remember and rest. Today is one of those sermons. Today is one of those sermons. Don't walk out of here with the long to-do list of stuff to go do. If, you, if so, I think we've, you might have missed it. Paul isn't calling us to do. He's calling us to rest in this truth. Through your faith in Jesus, the best is yet to come. So walk out of here and rest. Walk out of here and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Walk out of here and be confident that something restorative is on its way, something strengthening is on its way, something better than anything you can achieve or accomplish in this life is on its way. All right, let's pray together. And um, Our prayer partners are going to be at the front and the back of the room. Um, if you're here today and God has put something on your heart and you know that you need to share it with somebody or ask somebody to pray for you, um, why don't you come grab one of our prayer partners and just before you leave here today, say, here's what God's spoken to me or here's what's heavy on my heart and let them pray with you. If you're here today and you've not come to that place in your life journey, you're part of the dash where you've trusted in Jesus for what happens next, man, let's do that today. Grab one of our prayer partners and, and just, just walk up to their prayer partner and say, will you pray for me or will you talk with me or can you tell me how to become a Christian? And they would be honored to do that. Wherever you're at today, I'm gonna pray that God would guide us as we respond now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful um, reminder to us all that despite how hard this life can become or even despite how good this life can become, 
in both cases, the best is yet to come. Father, thank you for reminding us that our hope is not in this life and the things that we can see and manipulating our circumstances or creating our own purpose and pathway through life. But God, our joy, our ultimate peace and our ultimate satisfaction is in this truth, this foundational truth, that the best is yet to come, the glorification of the saints. God, would you let us rest there today? God, as we sing these words, God, I need you. Father, could those be words of rest to our souls today? God, I pray your Holy Spirit would move through this room, speak to us, and stir our hearts to respond, we pray. In the powerful name of your Son, Jesus.